Hi, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to a new episode of What's Up with Danny. I hope you enjoyed that very Dr. Nick-like hello. Uh, I love The Simpsons, and I just sort of felt it in that moment. Uh, Probably because I watched a couple episodes of it with my parents at their house when I had dinner with them last night. Shout out to my parents for putting up with uh, me wanting to watch The Simpsons while I was over at their house. Um, Thank you for listening. Welcome to the episode. If this is your first time, we really appreciate you checking us out. Uh, It really does mean a lot to us, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. Uh, if If this is not your first episode, if you've listened before, thanks for coming back. I know I say this every week, but I say it because I mean it. It means a lot uh, that y'all are checking back and listening to these words that we say with our guests every week. Uh, It means a whole lot to us. Um, Our guest this week, we have episode number 98 coming at you. Uh, Our guest this week is Olivia Odette. Um, Sorry, Olivia, if that is not the way you pronounce your last name. I do not know how to pronounce anyone's last name, as people who have listened to this podcast are well aware of. Um, and it's such an awkward thing, right? How do you ask somebody, hey, how do you say your last name? It's such a weird question to ask, and I, I get self-conscious about it every time. But here we are. It's not like it really mattered much. Um, but this episode, this was a great episode. It was great to catch up with Olivia. Thank you again for your time. If you're listening to this, Olivia, uh, we really appreciate it. I have known Olivia for quite some time now, as well as Andrew has known her. Um, that was a weird way to say that sentence. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was great. We hadn't seen each other in quite some time. Uh, and even though this was a virtual hang that we had, it, w- it was still great to catch up. Great to see and hear about uh, what you've been up to. Uh, we talk a fair amount about the music industry. We kind of start from uh, her time with the mixtape venue in Grand Rapids and the intersection to talking about uh, her time in college and sort of how she's been able to sort of find her footing in this uh, crazy thing called the music industry. Uh, super interesting episode. She gives a lot of insight uh, as to what her time, you know, working with artists and uh, being on tour has been like. If it sounds like I got farther away, it's because I put my phone down. I am recording this intro while driving, and I am driving by a state cop right now, so you know the deal. Uh, the last thing I want you all to hear during this intro is me getting pulled over by a police officer, because you know I'd leave the recording on. Um, but yeah, I got sidetracked by that cop, so I lost my train of thought. But yeah, Olivia, great guest, uh, great episode. Thank you all for checking it out. Uh, you can email us at whatsupwithdannypod at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, if you want to suggest a guest for the podcast or a topic, we can go and try to find somebody who can talk about that uh, at length. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash what's up with Danny, on Instagram uh, at what's up with Danny podcast. And we are also going to be posting videos very soon. I know I keep saying it, but it will happen. We just have to keep speaking it into existence and uh, putting the time in to make it happen. But they're on the way. Um, Feel free to rate. Give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love a five-star. It helps us out a lot. Uh, Subscribe if you haven't already. If this is your first episode, you're waiting to see how it goes before you give us a subscription. I get that. 
but uh, it would mean a lot to you if you hit that like, the subscribe, the follow, whatever social media button you have to hit for us, we would really appreciate it. Jeez. Um, did I already promote everything? I think I have. Wow, go me. Nailed it. Uh, come see Tim. We're playing at the Pyramid Scheme. I believe I got the date wrong in the last episode, but uh, we are playing Pyramid Scheme in Grand Rapids on May 28th. I think I said the 26th last, the last episode, but we will be there uh, on the 28th of May with some really great bands whose names I am forgetting at the moment, but uh, one day I will know them and I will be able to say them while recording one of these intros. Um, no other shows to promote, no other sites to promote, so enjoy this episode uh, with Olivia Odette, and have a great week, y'all. Bye. Uh, we are recording, but that doesn't necessarily mean we started. We can do a little bit of <laughs> like figuring things out first before we get rolling. Uh, how are you? It's nice to see you. I'm... Living the dream. Living the dream. All right. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. No, actually, some of my, I just had to bug two people to do their podcast today, so I kind of know a little bit about podcasts, but not much. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we're about the same. We don't really. I feel like we mostly don't know what we're doing, but it kind of works out. Yeah, we just kind of figure of it out as we go along. Yeah. Is this light? Should I turn off that light? Is that going to be annoying? You're good. No, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, you're all right. Yeah. It almost seems like it'd probably be worse with whatever shadows are going to come through, right? Like, if there's any shadows that pop up behind you, that might be weird. Yeah. That'd be the only thing I think Yeah, we might freak strange. out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, shoot. I think, I think we're good on our end if you're ready to roll. Yeah. Um, why not? I'm cool. here for it. Awesome. awesome. Cool. I'm going to do one of these. Then we know. Cool. We got two claps. All right. Hey, thank you for doing this. We appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. Um, let's just dive right in. We normally get started with music. So talk a little bit about what got you interested in music and sort of give us like, give us the beginning, like Olivia's beginning in terms of music. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my dad was a photographer for the Grand Rapids Press. And so he would split his time between like the overnight photographer for accidents and concerts. So I've been raised with, he was like a big, like clash romantics fan. So he raised me with just listening to music growing up. So it was always present in my life. Um, but, um, Sorry, I guess there's a construction going on next door. Um, <laughs> You're <sorry>. good. <laughs> um, but uh, it wasn't until high school that I kind of realized, like, oh, this is actually a thing. I was actually, I played lacrosse at Catholic Central. My big sister in lacrosse was in a band. I don't remember what their name was, but they were opening up for this pop band called Push Play at Mixtape Cafe. And I remember her being like, buy a ticket off me and being like, and she's like, I'll meet you at the door and let you in. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm meeting someone <laughs> at the door of a venue and I'm getting a ticket. I mean, like looking back, like it's like a hundred cap cafe <laughs> that I was like geeking out about at 15. And um, 
I just remember getting that ticket. And when I stepped inside, I mean, now it's what Skeletons came back now. I haven't yeah. even been back in um, Grand Rapids since that reopened. But mm. uh, stepping in that front door, it was when they had both the cafe upstairs and downstairs as the show. And I will never just forget. Like, there was that weird tech company on the side when you walked down the stairs. Yeah. Um, like, this old brick building with dingy hundred cap type bands like pop punk and metal and everything that only plays hundred cap venues and then you have this like tech startup on the side and I just thought it was like the coolest feeling so I'm like walking down the stairs I remember and then like as soon as I got in the room I was like I love this and <laughs> it's just one of those feelings that stuck with me forever and um turned into begging JR for three or five months or so and there's no dog um there is a shadow (laughs) (laughs) um but begging for a job that didn't really turn into a job at first it was just me sitting there for free um (laughs) but that started my love for music and seeing how there was all like uh so many parts of it like i would sweep the floors and then sometimes they'd be like can you sell merch can you sell concessions can you take tickets you know and seeing how there were so many different parts of it and then that turned into obviously like going to school and learning all about it. And so, yeah, it was just a, I don't think when I started working there, I knew that that's what I was going to do. I wanted to be a forensic scientist at that point in my life. So, oh, wow. um, plot twist, here I am. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like, I like all of that. And I want to start off um, when you said you were 15 and you were just so excited to meet somebody at the door for a ticket. And, and that just, that sends me back down a whole wormhole of all the times I went to shows and had to meet people for tickets or was even the person meeting people to sell them tickets and things like that. And I I think that's, that's the one thing, like there's that thing that sparks our interest or just like, like we see it as cool because it's not something that we're used to, or we find out about this whole world that welcomes us in, like, despite, you know, where we might've come from, it still welcomes us in. Um, Tell me, a little bit about that show if you remember when you did eventually get through the door and you're at the show and how like that feeling what what's going through your mind when you're first experiencing these things oh man i mean um i remember just being so excited and being able to like release like just let loose um and have fun. Nobody knew me. It was very weird. Like I went to a Catholic school growing up. So like I had 20 students in my class throughout the, my entire life. So it was everyone the same, every friend group and like just felt like I was in a mold. And so like being in this room where I could actually like be my creative self and have fun. I just remember that being so freeing. I didn't know any of the music that my friend was playing. I didn't know anything, but I knew the headliner, like their one radio single. So I remember being so excited and wanting to push to the front and completely just take in the moment. And I'm pretty sure there was another opener. Um, And I thought they were like so cute. And that's kind of what sparked me going to mixtape like every week because they played there a lot. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come back and buy tickets from this guy every month. (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, I think that's another thing that people like 
there's there's all these different reasons why people come back. And so it's fun to hear what you're, you know, you're, you're experiencing this and you're like, oh, next time I'll buy this ticket from this guy or next time, you know, I'll come back here just to see who else is opening, you know, see what other band is playing. And I think that's sort of the beautiful thing is there's not there's not a lot of uh, things I personally experience from time to time that sort of make me want to come back, you know, at least as I've gotten older. But then when I think about those old days where I'm like, even even at the worst shows where I was, you know, I'd book a show and two, three, four people might show up, you know, there was still always something that made me want to come back. You know, there's always that thing that just brought me back for some reason. Who knows exactly what? But uh, tell me a little bit. Let's kind of move fast forward a little bit to you getting the job work in the door, even if it wasn't quite a job right away. Tell me, tell me what that conversation was like to sort of get yourself, kind of get your foot in the door a little bit. So I've always been a little conniving and I went to Grand Rapids Catholic Central, but abbreviated it's GRCC, which you both probably know also stands for community college. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> I was introduced to JR by, uh, um, I don't even remember. I think it was Josiah Gentry. Um, and uh, started talking with him and just would be like, every show I went to, I'd walk up to him and be like, I have a job. And he would <laughs> laugh and say no. And this probably happened from, I was playing with Cross in the fall. So it would have happened from fall 2009, 2000, 2009 or 2010 until... January or February of 2010 or 11. I don't know the exact date. And um, finally one day I was there. I went up to him. He's, he, I remember this moment so vividly. He cut me off before I could say anything. He's like, no, Olivia, you can't have a job laughing. But that's when his <laughs> now wife, then girlfriend, Jesse, was there. And she goes, you look familiar. Where do you go to school? And he goes, GRCC. And she goes, Catholic Central? And he's like, no, the college. And I was like, no, I go to Catholic Central. She's like, that's where I went. And I was like, no way. She's like, do you know Ethan, my cousin? And I was like, yes, I know Ethan. We're friends. And then she was like, that means you're good at math. You can run our door. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And like, I will never forget that. And so that actually, oh, shoot, I skipped. That actually came after it. Sorry, I'm going back. The only reason I started talking to her was because I went up to JR after he said, no, you can't work. And I said, I actually just have a question. There's a band playing for free. Pretty sure it was all time low and boys like girls were doing a free show, radio show. And I said, it's a free show. I just want your opinion on when I need to show up outside to get it. And so I didn't ask to work for him. And then he said, you know what? You show up an hour early and sweep our floors and we'll just let you in first. And nice. so awesome. it was kind of, I guess I've always had like this little like business in me. Like, how do I convince someone to give me what I want without directly asking for it? <laughs> so See, that's how it started. Yeah. And then I met Jesse and then she was like, you can count. Cool. Save us money. <laughs> See, I like, I like that attitude though, because it feels like in music, you kind of have to have this like, go get them sort of like, just, you know, ask over and over and over and over again, just because you never know when someone's going to say yes. You know, I think it's the it's very similar in that in that way where like when I booked shows for my bands, I would send probably upwards of a thousand emails 
over the course of a few weeks and just over and over again dealing with rejection until that final like oh finally we booked something somewhere and that sort of seems like what happened to you i mean do you feel like that's that sort of rings true with you that that go get them attitude and then having that sort of that vibe throughout your time in music like where you're like oh i need to just go after this i need to just prove myself or try to find a way where i can get there 100 um and it can go two different ways, I think. It can go, I can try so hard for something and be let down, but ultimately it leads me to something better. Hmm. And I can also try so hard and eventually get it, even though I think I'm being annoying. And like, that happened with ultimately how I ended up in Nashville hmm. was me trying really hard, getting let down, but being presented with a better opportunity. And how I got on my first tour I annoyed the hell out of the guy who um, hired me. And every two weeks was another email. And then like, I'll never forget like sitting on the, I was peeing, sitting on the toilet and <laughs> looked at my phone. I was like, missed call voicemail from Andrew. And like, I'm sitting there and then it's like, do you want to go on tour next week? And I was like, what? I was like, how did I even miss this call? But it was like, I had totally given up on that at that point. I had bugged that guy for three months. Every two weeks just following up and, it happened though. So yeah, awesome. I totally agree with it. Now I want to get to what you're doing now and what you've been up to lately, but I want to kind of just pull it back a little bit more. We'll stay on the mixtape for just a little bit longer. So you start working with them, you start running the door and eventually it does sort of work its way into a job. Tell me a little bit about that transition with some of the things that you learned along the way from just kind of being absorbing all that information and that action. So it's really interesting to me because I definitely learned a lot about at mixtape, but I was so young. I think it really took a few years for it to settle in and me to actually understand what I was learning. Hmm. I don't, I think there were moments where I should have learned a little faster um, and it just kind of comes down to like attitude and repertoire with uh, bands and acts I was I mean I'm sure when you knew me back then like I have always had this bubbly personality and that's one thing I like that I will never lose I don't believe in the music industry which is really hard to see these days you see a lot of um jaded people um especially the further along you get and uh when i was there i think it really just taught me how much goes into one show it taught me that people lie people steal steal people cheat um and it showed me that like as sad as it is like the good ones don't always make it you know and um you can see so much talent go through a place and they never go anywhere. You can see people put their all into something and it never makes anything. Um, but you can also remember all those moments where it does matter because of the feeling you get from that moment. Um, but I think what I got most was understanding just how much goes into a show. And looking back, I look at my actions and my attitude um, and my behaviors at that age and I was just a kid, but I was hanging out with a lot older people than me. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe that has to play with it. But sure. 
I think that it really taught me a lot about behaviors and it might've even had me grow up a little bit just from what I had there. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine the exposure, especially all of the older people that you're meeting and you, you kind of have to force yourself to like, I won't say fake it, but almost like kind of fake being a, a little bit older, even if that's not necessarily how you know how to act in the time, you know? And I think that might be one of those things where that probably helped you long run, wouldn't you think? And it just being exposed to all that and just kind of having to maybe maybe pretend a little bit or like kind of like, like were you, were you just being like, oh, I don't know that. Can you explain that to me? Or were there times where you kind of felt like you had to be like, oh yeah, I know what that's about. And then in your head, you're like, oh, I'm going to figure this out eventually. I'm not skipping too far ahead, but back when I started doing work with the intersection after mixtape closed, I'll never forget this moment because I didn't understand. I just said yes to everything, everything. So I got asked if I could be a runner at a show, which is like running and buying whatever they need, stocking the dressing rooms. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then I got asked if I could do merch right after by two different people working at the venue. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Not realizing (laughs) that the runner has to be like, I had no idea that the runner had to be there all day, like from open to after show. And that merch was during the show. And I just will never forget like a tour manager yelling at my boss being like, why does, why is my runner also selling merch? And I was like, I said yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because that was it. It wasn't even, I definitely faked it till I made it. And yeah, I never, I just never brought up. Oh, oh, they know this so I can share this. And running at the intersection when I was interning with them and they would have me do stock, I, they all thought I was 21. So they would give me these stock lists that would have beer on it and I'd go home to my mom and she would buy the alcohol for me and, I'd do it. <laughs> and they never knew I was under age. That's but crazy. I, I've talked to them now and they know, but um, <laughs> what what was their reaction when the when the truth came out and they found they were out just that- like they were just shocked, but I was I was I think I told them when I was like twenty three or twenty four. It was right before mm-hmm. I moved to Nashville. What would you like, what would you have done if you didn't have your mom there to help you out? <laughs> I called friends that were 21 too. I told yeah. anyone and everyone. Like there were days where like I would take super long on these shots and I'd be like, I'm going to get caught, but it somehow worked out. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of one of those things that you hear. Like, like if you look back on the VH1 behind the music of your life, that's one of the stories that kind of will stick out as the, the, the twist or the turn of events in that moment where you're like, Oh, she was underage buying, trying to buy alcohol for the venue, but they didn't know. Like, that's that's a very interesting <laughs> story. I like that a lot. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're trying to absorb from the talent that's coming through and the, some of the things that you're, you know, because you're working with JR and Jesse while you're at the mixtape and then you're working with, you know, Scott and I'm assuming others at the intersection as well. Um but tell me a little bit about what you're absorbing from the bands that are coming through and everything that you're you're getting from that. So I have purely been business in music my entire life. I do not understand how to make music. I do not understand how it, how to tune anything. And I've had to run sound at my own at shows before. So like you can <laughs> guess how that goes. So right. like I'm always just trying to learn. So something that's happened in multiple phases of my life that I always go back to is every show I worked, I tried to learn one thing. Hmm. So like 
I'll, I'll pick someone. I'll be like, I'm going to learn something from the audio engineer today. And I'll just point to something and be like, what's that? Hmm. And, um, what's that? <laughs> exactly. It's the stupidest question. Like I literally asked a drummer once, where does this snare go? And they looked at me like, are you kidding me? Like, Am I being punked right now? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, it's different for every drummer. And I'm like, well, generically, where does it go? And then, like, he was just, like, trying to explain it to me. Like, they get so caught off guard because I don't know anything about music. Or the mu- mm. Okay, that's a lie. I know a lot about music. I'm very, I'm weaker in the category of the actual making of music. Mm. Right. Um, the technical so- side of it that's really just learning the most about the technical side so I have some basic knowledge when it comes to those things mm. is really what I try to get from the artists and also just seeing if they're a dick or not um, sure. because <laughs> you run into like artists that you don't really want to work with anymore All right. you know? mm. and like if they're good people you want to keep them around mm-hmm. How? what was that like for you? I mean I know from experience as well uh, how to handle maybe the ba- the bands that aren't necessarily they might not have the best attitude and then you kind of learn over time like oh maybe i caught them on a bad day of tour you know or something like that what do you how do you try to handle that if you were to work with a band that maybe came in where they were a little bit hot that day and you're trying to you know do your job while also you know making the bands happy making sure everybody on the crew is is happy and everything like that how how tell me tell me a little bit about dealing with that i mean it's just showing face at that point like for the initial day when if they're being jerks um just keeping minimum contact at that point giving them what they need like there's some artists that i'll work with that i come that come through and i'm like these guys are fun i can joke i can banter with them all day there's other ones that you get the cold shoulder right away and you're like i'm only going to give them what they need when they need it and i'm not going to really like try to dive into it and sometimes those ones end up playing nice by the end of the day like once they like get through the day and they're like okay my hard stuff's done you've done everything i need now i can shoot the shit with you like sometimes that happens so pretty much it's just drawing the line and not taking it personal because that was a thing I did when I was young. And that's what um, I kind of meant with my behavioral things that mixed it. Like I would take if an artist was angry personal, I didn't know any better at the time. I was 16, 17. I didn't, right. I didn't learn those life skills yet. So I would take these artists actions personally, like, hmm. and not take, learning not taking it personal was a big thing for me. And if they come back again, I'm just a big believer in everyone has bad days now. I've had my own and just mm-hmm. through a lot of my own process in life. Like I've also been, I'm a completely different person than I was in high school and college. Like mm-hmm. it's like the person that I probably was when I hung out with you in high school is <laughs> different. And it's like a little embarrassing, but I also look at that too. And I know I've changed. So if I see someone down the line, like, Someone could become sober in that time frame. Someone could like have been losing a family member. Someone could have been sick. They could have been mad because they weren't home when their wife was giving birth, you know? And I've just had so many things happen in my life over the past few years that um, I give everyone second and third chances, really, until it ultimately hurts me. I do not ever hold a grudge until it's hurting myself. If it's not affecting me, it's not worth my time mm-hmm. to even think negatively of someone. 
because their actions reflect them and not me. Right. It's almost like the, I think it's come up on the podcast before, but it's kind of like the example I like to think about is when you're, when you're in traffic and maybe you cut somebody off, you want them to be understanding of the situation. Like, Oh my bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. But when someone cuts you off, it's immediate. Like I want to run this person off the road. (laughs) How dare they do this? And, and I think there's, there's something in that where you can kind of be like, okay, I, I want this person to react this way if I do this. Why? So I can't react this way because they did this. You never know what that person in that car, maybe they didn't see you. Maybe they're in a rush to go to the hospital or pick up something. You never really know what the scenario is. So I think that might also be a good way to think about it with, with the music industry and just all the people you might meet and everything. So I, I, I like uh, what you said. Can you give me like your welcome to the music industry moment? Like you can, you does something kind of stick out off the top of your head? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure a few things might come to mind, but. Um, When I was in, the day mixtape closed was sad, but I don't think I had a full understanding of the music industry because it was more just the local scene. Right. Um, As I, started moving into music as like my full-time career and there's a moment when the day I was a runner that merch one there was a moment I stood side stage it was one of the intersections parking lot parties and the artist was Lee Bryce and he has a song called parking lot party and I remember just sitting side stage like up on that little loading dock at the intersection that side cement thing Mm-hmm. And seeing the entire parking lot full of people and being like, this is it. This is why I do this. This is that moment. Every time I see a crowd of people, that that's a moment. Um, when I was doing this thing called Independent Showcase in college, that was a moment because I raised attendance from 70 people to 300 in my three years there. Wow. Um, that was big for me. Uh, there was a moment. I don't know... I don't want to say names really, but the first job I moved to in Nashville, there was an after party for the, my job and two legendary artists. Um, one artist went to start playing songs on piano at the after party and another artist came up and said, um, <laughs> just said, don't play music. You've already been paid for your time today. And <laughs> the artist that was walking up to the piano goes, I play music because I like to play music. And I just like <laughs> watched this interaction happen between like two like rock legends. And I was like, and I just had to stand there. Literally, my job was just to make sure they didn't fuck up the equipment. <laughs> um, I'm making sure like, cause we had like PA speakers and stuff up. And I was like, did I just see that happen? Like that was one of the, like, there's so many. And even like, getting on my first tour and seeing the crowd. um, Like just, it's the crowd. That's what's going to boil down to. It's the crowd seeing the reaction when I was doing VIP programs and helping out little kids meet their favorite artists, seeing their excitement. It's others joy for me. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. That's, I think that sums it up really well. And in my experience, it was all about seeing the people. And I mean, obviously you enjoy it yourself and you have, you're part of that group and that crowd, but there is something about being, you know, 
being, you know, behind in the moving pieces and seeing that crowd enjoying parts of what you were a part of too in that way. And I, I, I do, there's some validation in that, I think, seeing other people's joy to create your own joy, you know? Um, tell me, let's talk a little bit about the intersection then and how that transition from mixtape to intersection from, yeah, kind of more like a localized, still some tourists coming through and things like that, but into a more of, uh, I, I don't want to say high scale cause I feel like it puts down the mixtape if I say that, but Maybe more that, established, yeah, more, more established. Good call, Andy. Nice work. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, uh, like if you look at even just look, knowing sizes of any, like intersection is a club and mixtape was smaller than a theater. Like you would call yeah. that, like if you were working on the promoter or agent side of things, that would be like a bar. You'd be booking right. a bar there. Yeah, and like uh, the mixtape was like all ages. They didn't sell alcohol and stuff like that. So that was probably a big difference. Yeah. Um, but the transition was someone I met through Fusion Show. She's still my mentor today. I actually just caught up with her when I was in Long Beach for a show at the beginning of February. Um, so she's been my mentor. Her name is Danny Gore, if anybody mm. remembers her. <laughs> um, but uh, she um, took kind of took me under her wing at mixtape. She was just another strong-willed woman in the music industry. Um, and she was working at Intersection. So when Mixtape closed, she was like, join my street team. So that's what everybody did, join the street team. Um, and then uh, as I went into college, um, I did my second internship in college at the Intersection. And that's what kind of started getting like the random like merch and bartending gigs and running gigs from them. So the, the, I wanted to work for them. Like that was my goal. And Scott actually sat me down when Danny left and I applied for her position and didn't get it because I was still in college. And he was like, you need to figure out what you want. Like, is this really what you want? And I, that was a pivotal conversation in my life too, because I didn't know what I want. I was just, like the intersection is the next thing and mm -hmm. um you're just trying to work your way up any way yeah. that you could and like and looking back like it was it, it was right that i didn't work there um after college or even like leave college to do it um because i don't think i would be where i am i wouldn't be where i am today and um and i'm very happy with where i am today but uh they taught me so much that's where i actually saw like Again, no offense to mixtape, but like a real production, like the mm. larger scale. Like they had, we were. I went from a couple hundred size venue to two thousand people. You have a lot more room. You have like entire lighting people. You have entire. You have stagehands. I learned all. I started to learn about the union. Nah, they don't have a union there yet. Um, they just have their own stagehands there. Uh, union wasn't until later. Um, but learning that stagehands uh, start to do that. Uh, learning exactly what goes into it and i was doing like the promotions type stuff too with them so like learning how much time like printing and ad making costs and it was right at the transition i feel like of when people started doing less papering shows so it was a very interesting time to see that uh but um yeah i mean they were just the next step. I hate to say that. And like, <laughs> it was just the next step. Like I was, it was felt like almost like my formal introduction to the music industry, like mixtape was right. fun. And then when I decided that 
music was going to be my career intersection was next. Mm. Tell me, so you're getting some like real, real life, real world experience at the intersection while also being in college. And I'm sure you're, you're getting your hand at practicing and making your own events and doing things like that and getting that going. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you being in college and trying to sort of, did you, did you have a lot of free reign to throw your own events and like practice and try to get a feel of what it was like to set up gigs and things like that, or even just any event you could? So... Yes and no. Um, I was all about other people's money in college. Um, so I, I did the thing where like I approached the university for money. So they'd give me 3000 bucks a show to put on because I would write a paragraph about how it was good for the, it was a safe event for the students on campus. And they're like, enrichment. Here's $3,000. <laughs> and I would book the people that were coming to mixtape. The friendships I made at mixtape was who I booked there. Mm-hmm. Um, like Michigan local. Like I think I brought rival summers once. Um, Shout out to Leo. Right. <laughs> Love him. He's a national oh. now too. Um, awesome. And so they had, but with that, they didn't give me much freedom. They had how things work. Like all the contracts had to go through the school, all the um, payments had to go through the school, like everything had to be approved, all the artwork had to be approved, there had to be certain logos on it. So in a sense, I had freedom because basically I got money to book whoever I wanted, but in another sense, I didn't, which also was great because it kind of taught me the process of how to book shows, which gave me a better understanding for down the line when I actually had to deal with that. Hmm. So... um, no, when I say I was putting on shows, it wasn't as hardcore as you did. I will say that when I was in college, <laughs> but it was a guided attempt. See, and I would have liked to have had maybe a little more of that financial backing when I was doing shows. Like, <laughs> like that that sounds pretty sick to me, having a little bit of, you know, like a, a, a fund to go for the show, because a lot of those were out of my pocket. And right. I feel... I feel like now that I'm hearing this, I'm immediately jealous of that <laughs> at that time. Um, but yeah, okay, so let's talk a little bit about finding your footing outside of college and tell, let's kind of start sort of ramping into wh- where you're at now. Tell me, tell me the feeling of, all right, I'm out of college, I wanna be in music, how do I get there? What do I have to do to make that a reality? So let's kind of start and see, see where we get from there. I wish I had that moment. Mm. Um, it kind of was like, do you want to move to Nashville and skip your graduation for me <laughs> from a job offer? So, uh, but this kind of goes back to the hustling thing that we talked about at the beginning. In college, I was working at Pepino's Catering um, in Grand Rapids on the weekends to make extra money. I was the entertainment student entertainment coordinator for the university. I was on the executive board for like our music program. I put on a showcase of independent shows every spring and I decided to be on the executive board of my sorority at the time. So I just did every single thing I could to try to meet as many people as I could. And I burned out my senior year, but in that I hustled and took every job, every opportunity, every concert I could work, anything I could do. And I think that ultimately that hard work didn't give me what I thought I wanted, but it led to what I got. Mm. 
so and that kind of plays back to the being let down um, or wanting something and trying so hard and not getting it, but getting something else that's better. Um, I really wanted an internship in California. Um, I was thought I got it. It was down to me and one other person. I knew the person who was making the decision. So I was bugging them constantly for it. And I, but I didn't have worry at that time. So this was probably my first time that I really wasn't worrying about a job. And on St. Patrick's day, 2016, um, I remember getting the call. I didn't get it mm-hmm. and bawling all during a class. And the instructor like pulled me aside and was like, what's wrong? And I told her I graduate in two months. I have nothing. And she was like, well, someone on our board of directors is the CFO of a venue in Nashville. Would you be interested in talking to him? And I was like, sure. (laughs) I was like, I'll do anything. I was like, I'm broke. What do I do? (laughs) And uh, he took me to breakfast. And at the end of the breakfast, he just said, so do you want to move to Nashville? And I was like, sure. Um, (laughs) And I remember calling my dad on the walk home being like, I'm moving to Nashville. And he like asked me, he's like, will you skip your graduation? And I was like, honestly, that's in like two weeks. So no, but, um, I'll come the day after my graduation. And he was like, okay. Hmm. They like, I don't know the venue had a concert on the day of my graduation. So they wanted me to be there for that. But, um, so I wish my, in that, Oh, but then I did end up having to leave that job. And I was a line cook for six months in Nashville before Mm. I actually got back into the music industry and haven't left. Mm. So I did kind of have a step backwards, but (laughs) I I want to talk to you about that. But I have I have just one question to sort of ask about what what you just sort of explained to us. And that's like what sort of mentality do you think you had to have to be able to find like you don't get this thing that you want, but you keep your mind and your options open and then this other opportunity falls. Where do you think that that comes from to know in the moment like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. This is the right move. Or do you kind of just have to listen to your instincts or have to listen to your gut? Or is it just I'm going to do whatever I can to make this happen. This is an opportunity. Let me just take it right now and then see where I go from there. At that point, it was, I'm going to take what I can get. And it was, I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to do what I can. I was not at the point yet where I believe I can weigh up. Now I can get things in my, that come my way and turn them down if I feel need. But at that point in my life, I was just hungry. I wanted to get out there. I wanted to make sure it happened. I mean, I was a mess. Don't get me wrong. When that call came through that I didn't get that internship, I was... I don't want to be the, I don't want to be my uh, program coordinator who had to deal with those emails and calls of me crying. Um, but no, I was just uh, ready. Yeah. Hmm. Now tell me what's going through your mind when you're, like you said, you kind of took a step back a little bit and you had to be a line cook for a little while. Let me, let me hear what you had going through your mind in that moment. Like there, there had to be some, some worries some maybe some self doubt how am I going to get back to where I want to be? Like kind of explain what you're thinking and how you maybe overcame it to get the next opportunity. I was this close to moving back home to Michigan. My parents were the one who told me to stay in Nashville. Um, I, the situation of my departure from that venue was a difficult one and it doesn't even deserve to me to talk about it. Uh, but within a week of that 
final letting go, gone from that venue, I had gotten the line cook job. I had had an interview and received an offer from the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville to be a backstage hospitality host. So basically I set up dressing rooms. Um, I had an interview with the arena in town to do ticketing. And I had been signed up to do a Beyonce show. Like, hell yeah. I went That's awesome. Just, <laughs> I just went and like went balls to the wall and like applied for anything and everything. So within a week I was already making money again. So That's I never awesome. had that downtime. Um, yeah. And I mean, not, I'm not, I'm going to jump forward for a second, but not, is that in the pandemic, when the pandemic hit and my touring contract was ended, I had a job at Target within two weeks because I was so nervous. I was like, I just need <laughs> something to get me by. Like, that's right. just my personality. Like, I'm always going to make sure that I can take care of myself and survive. So the line cook job was my, because I couldn't make enough money to live off just doing the rhyme in or just doing box office. Um, so the line cook job was my full-time 35 hours a week job hmm. where I made my rent and everything off that. Um, but every month I would make a calendar. So I technically, the Beyonce gig was through Live Nation. So I became a runner for Live Nation. I did freelance like VIP and um, activation, you know, when you go to a concert and they're like giving away free things outside. Mm. I picked like that up as a side hustle. Um, box office at Bridgestone Arena. It's like our Van Andel here. Um, and Blind Cook. I feel like there was one more, but in Ryman. Um, I would pull out a calendar every day, every month, and put every single show at every single venue and every opportunity I have and just pick which ones I wanted to do and then request them off from work. But there was um, a three-month period where I didn't take a day off because I was just trying to do every show and everything I could. And it hit, it was, I remember calling my mom in April, um, and crying because I had a few times where like my car broke down. I couldn't afford rent that month. And thankfully I'm very, I'm very grateful. My parents aren't in the best financial position by any means, but they put themselves further into debt to help me survive in Nashville. That's awesome. Uh, and so like they believed in it that much. Hmm. And so, and you bet your ass that I've paid them back now that I can't, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, I remember calling my mom crying saying I need to move home and two weeks later was when I got that tour offer. Hmm. So. Now tell me a little bit about the having that support system, because I know a lot of people, they might say to their parents, I want to pursue a career in music. And I'm sure a very common question <laughs> that is followed with that is why, why do you, why do you want to do that? Do you feel like was I mean, was there ever did you ever encounter that like why? But not in a why do you really want to do this, but in like a why do you wanna do that sort of way. You know what I mean? Like there there's definitely a difference and that you can feel the support and lack of support in both of those. So tell me a little bit about what it meant to have that support. I am so grateful. Um my family was not perfect. Um there are a lot of things that never held me back, but may have contributed to some of my, um, it didn't hold me back, but may have delayed my progress in some areas uh, with my family. But the one thing I have always have is their support. My mom was an editor for a newspaper. My dad was a magician and a photographer. Um, 
if anyone were to understand the creative field and following your dream, it's them. Hmm. And I think that my on at least one of some where my parents come from that they might not have been told that they could live their dream at some point in their life. So they were kind of doing the favor of letting me do mine. Hmm. Nice. So yeah, they kind of have that experience to, to know what to say because they wanted to hear those same things maybe when they were Mm -hmm. at, at, you know, in, at their time in your, in their life where you are now. Um, tell me, okay, so let's talk about the, the touring. Now you go and you get this touring gig. Tell me what that was like to go from, you know, venue operations, doing different things for different venues and things like that to just being completely immersed in the life. Oh, it was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think I slept for the first month and a half of that tour because I didn't understand how to ride on a bus. Right. Mm. Um, well, I did, but I could not sleep. Like, I tried melatonin. I tried everything. I could not sleep on a bus. So I was, thankfully, it was a country tour, so we only leave on Wednesday nights and come back on Sundays. Mm. So I'd still get to sleep when I was home, so I didn't get too sleep-deprived. But it was wild. But I kept my bubbly personality, and that's what I think really stuck out for me on that because people were just like, who is this girl? Like, they're like, we've been doing, and it was a camp that had been together for like years. And they were like, what in the world? But the amount of people (laughs) that said like, you know what? When I see you smiling, it makes my day a little better. Kind of kept me doing it. Um, It just, I don't think a feeling, I don't think I can even explain the feeling that comes from touring. I don't, I'm trying to think of the words that fit it. Um, but it's just this like magical little unicorn of a job because it all happens so <laughs> fast. Like getting to the venue, waking up at 6 a.m., unloading everything, setting it up. You maybe, for me on that job, I maybe had an hour at 1 p.m. to like sit and do nothing. Hmm. And then I was still going until after show food was on the bus at the end of the show at 11 p.m. Like, and so. And then you do it all again three days in a row, and then you go home. Just the quick, fast pace, which gave me an adrenaline rush, so I loved it. Um, but yeah, nothing. It's it's for adrenaline junkies. You addicted yeah. to chaos tour. <laughs> uh, tell, tell me, like, because I mean, for people who don't go on tour, they might not quite understand there is there is some sort of you know, the day to day where it's okay. Yeah, we have load in here. We have setup, sound check, merch setup, pack in, go to the next place. There's all those things, but there's also these moments where something totally unexpected could happen, or like there's there's this consistency and also no consistency at the same time. It, there could be a bunch of things that go completely wrong, or a million things that go completely right. Do you find it hard to balance the chaos or do you find yourself thriving in it? I personally think I find it difficult, but so many people tell me I thrive in it. So <laughs> I don't know how to, how you can take that. Um, like for me personally, like I feel like my brain goes into like fight or flight mode 
and I'm like mm. fighting and I'm just constantly thinking and I feel like I'm going 100 miles per hour but everyone's like no you just calmly figured it out mm. and I'm like hmm okay so <laughs> uh, I don't think that answers the question but uh, <laughs> I think I thrive in it though mm-hmm. um, I've gotten really good at like finding solutions but something I've had to learn recently is finding a solution doesn't mean you have to jump on it immediately. Right. Mm. Uh, because sometimes things work them out before you would have needed to do that. Anyway. Hmm. If I snap and send an email real quick with a solution, something could have come back. If I would have just given it 10 minutes or so, um, it's, um, it would have worked itself out. I've had that. I've had that situation happen to me a few times in this past few months. Mm-hmm. Where I've been like, "Okay, you need to slow down a little bit." <laughs> You're getting. This, I'm taking my touring brain. Need to figure it out now. Right. But, uh, um, but in putting it in a situation where I need to slow down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what's your uh, your favorite tour that you've gone on so far? That's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, like. I did my last tour I ever did, technically, I guess I went on for two weeks last summer, but before COVID, it was this wrestling tour. Uh, it was called AEW. Mm-hmm. And well, there are several people listening to this right now that just completely <laughs> lost their minds for the minute you said <laughs> AEW. Are you listening? I love you. <laughs> um, but I... That was my favorite tour ever. I knew nothing about wrestling. I was like, this is lame. Who would ever want to watch it? And then I started working for them and I was like, I have a new obsession. (laughs) Um, Like, and it was funny to me too, because like one of the heels, uh, which now I know what that means, um, was actually so nice to me. The, I'm sorry I'm laughing so hard, but you, t- you said the thing about the heel, and I 100% relate to it, because I heard my f- wrestling friends say the word heel over and over, and I never knew what it meant, and then I finally one day, was expla- it was explained to me, and so hearing you say, which I know what that means now, just, it makes me laugh a lot, I'm, so I apologize for laughing while you were in the middle of that, you and should explain you it. to tell you that story. But you should explain it for us, Danny. The heel, so the heel in wrestling is, is more like the villain, the person you, you don't really want to root for, or okay. like the person who's, I would say, the antagonist of the, okay. the plot, so to speak. How I found out how it is was I ended up, so I'm in Nashville. One of the wrestlers is from Atlanta. There's, or from Florida. We both flew Delta. There's a hub in Atlanta. So every show, it was fly dates. So every show we'd end up being on the same flight next to each other flying out of Atlanta. And so I just started talking to this guy because I was like, oh, I've seen you backstage. And so we became friends. The tornado hit Nashville and I showed up. Oh, I had a show the next day. I had to fly to the AEW in Denver the next day. And um, I show up, I'm at lunch and one of the heels comes up to me and goes, are you okay? Like, how was your place? And he's just asking me all these really nice questions. <laughs> I'm talking to him. And my local assistant for the day is sitting next to me. And as he walks away, his jaw's just on the table and he goes, that was a heel. He was so nice to you. <laughs> and I was like, what's a heel? <laughs> well, he's just a nice dude I'd sit and drink with on a plane. Um, but uh, 
yeah, no, AEW was just fun because it was so different than they treated the crew a little bit better than they treated the wrestlers on that tour. So that's kind of why I liked it. But um, <laughs> that and Lindsay Sterling, the violinist I was with for like three years. She's just a pure angel. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the vibes there and just the widespread range of acts that you might work with. I mean, do you find that you go into something kind of having an idea of what to expect or do you think, oh, I'm going to go work with this artist. This is going to be like this. And then you kind of find out it's totally different than what you had anticipated for for the good or maybe for the for the worse, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, I've been told by multiple people that I've had friends who have been on tours that like, I'm going to love this tour. Everyone on there is so nice. You're going to love it. And I've gotten out there and told them I'd never work for them again. Hmm. Like it's every tour has a different personality. And um, it's just like, there's some quirky, like there's some that like I went on, I had fun, but it wasn't the most fun. And like, they vibed with me. I vibed with them, but it wasn't a good fit. Like, we both agreed, like, we were both, like, it was mutual, like, we're getting the job done, we're doing this run, but, like, it was, like, an unspoken agreement, like, probably not going to work together again, but, like, hats off, like, you did a great job, like, type mm-hmm. stuff like that. I've had that happen. Um, it's always funny when, like, they tell you, like, in advance, like, this is going to be a sober tour, and you're like, how sober? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's somewhere it's, like, no alcohol allowed even on your off days. Um, show days you can't be seen with it like can't even be in your hotel rooms there's some where it's just none on the buses but you can do whatever you want in your free time um, it's and there's some there's somewhere like you're not allowed to see the artist like it really you don't know that type of stuff until you're like there there so you mm-hmm. can prefer to her all you want but you're not going to know until you're in the thick of it hmm. and I think that probably kind of keeps you in check for what you're going to experience every from a day to day, you know, just not really in knowing or being able to anticipate what it is that you're going to experience. And, and knowing and getting to know, like for me, a lot of the positions I had worked very closely with the artists. So knowing what ticks them, like what sets them off, do they, this is a very exaggerated example and it's never happened to me, but I'm just using it. Like, if you put a guitar upside down for them to sign and they didn't like the way that was, you will never make that mistake again if they yell at you. Like, I had someone tell me I pronounced their last name wrong every time I introduced them on stage. And Mm. I was terrified because (laughs) I thought I was getting in trouble. But then, like, I said it different the next time on stage. And they were like, good job, thank you. And I was Mm. like, it was just pronouncing, like, ton versus ten or something like that, like a last name. Mm Mm-hmm. Like and it was they asked me what Doug, where are you from? I'm like Michigan. They go, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, tell me a little bit. Give me oh i sorry, I'm having a battle in my head where if I want to ask this question now or save it for our lightning round. Um tell me a memory that you have or something that you've learned from touring that you maybe wouldn't have expected to learn in like that regard maybe about music or maybe about life or maybe both let's do both tell me one about music tell me one about life i see her laughing so this, i'm expecting something pretty good <laughs> here a funny one um we had a dressing room coolers and uh 
our trucks had to leave super, super quick after the show to get to the next venue. And I, for the main artist, I was like talking to my boss. I was like, but I need to take all the drinks out of the dressing room. They need them on the bus. And he goes, or we need the coolers. We'd travel with our own coolers. That's what we needed. We need to put them on the truck. And he goes, make a cooler. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, go to cater and get a banana box and get a trash bag. And so he literally just taught me how to make like a makeshift cooler, <laughs> put a bunch of trash bags in a banana box, fill it up with ice, put all these drinks in it and then grabbed our cooler to go. Like that was just a quick little, like that's a life hack right there. Right. Yeah. Never need a makeshift cooler, banana box and trash bags. <laughs> right on. Um, nice. And so, uh, there's that life. Honestly, the biggest one is don't take things too seriously or personally. I'm going to go back to that. I have had so many times. My dog is, come here. Um, <laughs> fine. Uh, so many times where they, um, I worried. I was like, do they hate me? Do they, are they mad at me for doing this? When it took me years to realize that they are not even giving a crap about me. I, they are on a new subject. <laughs> um that is the biggest life lesson and i know i repeated it already so sorry to um say it again but that is the most important thing i've learned about Mm -hmm. Um, no i think that's a great lesson to even if even if we're saying it again i think it's important to maybe repeat it and have people hear it because i think i think that tends to be a thing where a lot of people kind of slip where they're like oh i'm i'm nervous did i upset them did i do this did i do that when really it's like when you really think about it and you're like, are you thinking about other people that much? Like, are they thinking about you? Like, no, we're all just obsessed with what we're doing and how we think it affects people when really it doesn't affect anybody as much as what we think it does. And I think that's a that's a healthy behavior to sort of kind of keep reaffirming in everybody's brain. So I'm, I'm glad that it was, it was able to be brought up again. We're all our own favorite subject. Mm. <laughs> I was, I, this is a totally different subject, but, um, a friend of mine and I, we always get caught up on this conversation of how your li- our lives as we live them ourselves are just our own movie and everybody in the, in the life with us is sort of our supporting cast. And that's like, it sounds like a really bizarre, maybe unhealthy way to look at life, but that's, I think how we all kind of low key look at our lives without even realizing it. Like we're the star of our own movie and we need to be the center of attention and the plot is wrapped around us and our all our friends and people we meet are just part of the cast along the way, you know? And I almost wonder if that's kind of what, what we're talking about now, where we're in our movie, so we're obsessed with what the other <laughs> cast thinks of us, you know? My boyfriend likes to remind me that I'm the main character. Um, <laughs> when, I, when, I'm, when I'm like telling him a problem or something, he's like, main character energy. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That's great. Um, Tell me, let's so let's talk about touring. I mean, what are some cities that you really like to visit, or some things that you have enjoyed along the way in this life? So Savannah, Georgia, awesome, loved it. Um, This is going to be a hot take. Nobody's going to agree with me. I love Pittsburgh. Um, oh, no, you have one person here who at least agrees with that. Pittsburgh's amazing. You don't like, okay, yeah, you're worse. The room split over here on Pittsburgh. But, uh, it was like really lame. We stayed outside the city 
And then we took this tunnel into the city and it was like one of my first off days on tour. We were going to see the Andy Warhol Museum. And like, we come through this tunnel and I'm like, I was like, there's all these houses in the hill and it's just the city after you're on a complete opposite end of the tunnel. You're just in country land. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is so cool. Um, and so maybe that's a dumb thing, but I like Pittsburgh. Uh, I love anywhere in California. I just like the heat. Um, and I was lucky enough to do a tour in Europe. Mm, that's and awesome. I loved France so much. France was my favorite place ever. Um, that's where you're going to retire to, right? Probably. <laughs> Give me wine and cheese, baby. <laughs> nice. Let's let's uh, talk about that for a little bit. Uh, what touring in Europe might be like for people who don't know or who are only kind of familiar with our, our U.S. Americanized version of touring. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to tour through Europe. First off, you get double-decker buses, which are awesome. Yeah. Um, because... I am really lame on tour, actually. I, like, go to bed super early and wake up super early. Like, I meditate, I read, and I um, do a gratitude list every morning. So, like, I need my space in the morning. So, I'm up an hour before anyone's even supposed to be off the bus. So, I go to bed early. On the U.S. buses, you can hear everything in the front lounge, everything in the back lounge. It's hard to sleep. On the U.S. or on the European buses... Like they have a front lounge downstairs and all the bunks upstairs, so Ooh. everybody can hang out and you can't even hear them when you're trying to sleep. Yeah, that so seems that's convenient. Right. Yeah, mm. um, cultural barrier was difficult to some extent. Um, advancing like catering needs, mm. there's a lot of things that they don't have over there that a lot of people are accustomed to in the U.S. and like an artist may want. Like one of the artists I work for really likes kombucha. A lot of people really like kombucha here. Um, no idea what that was over there. There was, I, I think London maybe had it. But I remember, I mean, we went all over. We were Switzerland, Netherlands, uh, freaking Milan, Italy. Like, we were everywhere. And I think London was the only place that had kombucha. Like, mm. that cultural barrier there. Um, some places security was a lot higher, too which was nice. Some places security was great. Barcelona had like zero security. That was wild. They're more concerned about the disco that happens after the show. They're like, we don't make money <laughs> up here. We got a disco coming in an hour after you leave. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, security in France was insane, but we needed it. So it was fine. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, like that's something that people don't really understand too, is like the transportation getting there having i'm assuming a lot of the bands probably had to rent gear once they got over there or maybe they shipped it over who knows but there's there's certain logistics that need to sort of be figured out with that too that might be a little more difficult than what's in the what's in the u.s i guess yeah we freighted our gear so we had to have that freighted over two months in advance because it was the cheap option to send it over on a boat Hmm. tell me what's one city this is, might be a little too negative, I guess. We don't. We don't have. You don't have to answer this, just to be safe. But uh, give me one city where you see it up on the calendar, and you're like, "Oh, I guess we're going there this tour." Like, <laughs> do you do you have any of those cities? Swanhog, New York. 
Oh, okay. Tell me everything. It's, it's a venue. So many people love it because it's kind of cool. It's um, a venue that uh, floods at high tide because it's on the ocean. Hmm. So the entire pit or first couple rows has water up to their knees at one point during the show. And also the only way to get from backstage to the buses is either a tunnel when it floods um, underneath all the people, but it's all moldy and dark and wet. And then you get up at the other side and you walk around to the buses or, um, or you have to cross through the water, but you also have to cross through the fans. So like, and you can't go out like on stage and you can only get, so just it floods, it's wet. It's really hard to get to the buses sucks and it's in the middle of nowhere you can't even walk anywhere for coffee i like to walk places for coffee and, and people have accepted this as a reality right they're they're I, just okay with this being in existence i literally looked on their website where they were selling tickets i'm like they have to warn people about this how do they not get sued i didn't right. see anything on their website being like by the way might get what um, <laughs> that, that's a devoted fan base right yeah. there like oh this just sort of happens i guess we're we're cool with it now yeah like that's interesting to me i would think that that would be something they'd be like oh maybe we should work on this yeah maybe we should try to prevent this we from happening probably fix this but, issue but also I, I i who am i to judge they've obviously <laughs> made it work i guess so right. who am i to judge like every tour i've been on basically goes through there so Mm -hmm. Wow! Five, I mean, obviously, doesn't matter. I mean, they're they're obviously doing something right. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, tell me. Let's talk about the elephant that's sort of been in and out of the room over the last two years, and with COVID. And it's not necessarily the most COVID-friendly industry, at least not quite at first. It seems like we're we figure out a way to kind of do this all over again. But when when you're starting to see things get canceled, I'm sure you were had you had tours that probably were never never happened or were were meant to be that never saw the light of day. Tell me a little bit about that feeling and sort of what you kind of went through that first little bit until kind of sort of being able to come back and get back in the swing. So I had eight shows left with AEW under contract. And there was actually only like four. And then I was slated to go on back on Lindsey Sterling for summer. And then I had four more AEW in the fall that I was contracted for. Um, and I remember it was my therapist who told me. My therapist, she's a music industry. She actually like is devoted to people in the music industry because she used to do it herself. So she has a lot of good insight on things. And um, so she told me, she's like, a lot of my, she's like, be careful. Please don't spend money right now. A lot of my clients are saying they're losing work. And I was like, we'll be fine. We'll <laughs> be fine. Next thing I know, like she warned me and I didn't even really listen to it, but it was, I remember my boss being like, hey, do you have time? Like, it was just like, everybody knew. It was like March 16th, we went into lockdown and that was the day my contract was terminated. And like, you just knew. It was just a dark, dark day for everyone in the music industry, I feel like. We all were just kind of like, hoping it was going to be two weeks and that was it and like all my contracts were terminated and so and that was hard but like i said i went and got a job at target just because i was like am i gonna survive um but uh it was dark i mean i did the opposite i've talked to people about my experience during covid i did the fight mode i went and got a job i did so much self-care 
I was working out more. I was eating like, I actually went vegan for the first half of COVID because I was like, let's try something new. Uh, <laughs> and I say first half, like it's over. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was like, I did all this self care. I was like reading more, meditating more, doing yoga. And then like, when it started to get to a more manageable stage of COVID, that's when it hit me. And that's when I had my, like I've pent up all these emotions for like losing my tour, losing my livelihood. And that's exactly what it was. I really learned that like, I put so much of my life into touring and work. I made it my life. Um, and a lot of people in the music industry realize that. But finally, when things started to settle down and like music was starting to come back, that's when it hit me that I just completely washed away any emotion I could have had towards the fact that I lost my job and mm. hit it. So it was really, it was a wild time for me, but and I didn't even end up going back into touring. I got into something else. So, mm. yeah. But I mean, that kind of, that just sort of goes to show, I mean, there's, there's a mentality behind being in music where you kind of have to keep going. You have to keep moving. You don't really get a lot of time to stop and think about how you're, how you're feeling, you know, or how, how, uh, you might be putting away what you're feeling in that moment to put it off for another day. And that other day just sort of hit you later on in the moment. Um, tell me about where you're at now, I guess. I mean, we obviously COVID still exists. We're still in a, pandemic technically even though people are getting vaccinated and things are coming back tell me about where you're at right now with with music and what you hope to see sort of happen as things open up or continue to get you know back to normal so i took a job in artist management now mm -hmm. so i'm not touring anymore but i am still watching over their shows they do um, so for example we just went out to a festival in long beach the first weekend of february and um, that was interesting. I took a COVID test. It was like you had to take one within 72 hours if you were going to be backstage, show your receipt. Like I was vaccinated. So I just went up to this tent and showed them my vaccination and my test. They gave me a purple wristband. And like that was it, which um, it's interesting. It's a process and it kind of sucks that it takes up time. But that was like the precautions that I saw. And I know the festival was put on by the same people who do Coachella. And it was interesting to me because like we had to go through all that. And then like the, oh, the week after we got back, they announced that they're not doing the restrict the precautions anymore at Coachella. And I was like, I wonder if that festival that we did in Long Beach was uh, like a test to see sure. if it's still going to spread, you know? Mm. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because the music industry has so many ulterior motives that you're never going to know. Um, it just kind of happens. <laughs> um, but I'm in, I mean, I want like, I'm, I'm in a good place with it, uh, personally, mentally. And, uh, I know a lot of my friends that are taking it really seriously. And I've known a lot of friends that are on the road as COVID compliance officers. Now it's built into the contracts. Now we did what we the music industry did what it had to do to keep things safe. Mm. So, um, I believe that they're doing a good job at least. So, 
Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the artist management side, and then we'll do a little bit of a lightning round. Maybe have you promote some things, and then we'll kind of wrap up. But uh, what do you do? You, I mean, do you enjoy it? Have you been enjoying it since you've sort started working with artists and in the more of the management side? Yes, um, <laughs> it was a big transition for me because I'm a doer, so going from being on the road and being the person to make sure everything was done or else it falls back on me to being the person that I'm just managing the people that need to get it done or else it falls back on them. Mm. That was a huge transition. Like I was doing things and I had to learn people don't like to be micromanaged <laughs> because I would be like, are you doing this? Should I just do it for you? And like, no, stop. Let me do my job. And it's also hard because I'm older than a lot of the people I'm micromanaging. So mm. Um, but, uh, or I'm younger, sorry, than a lot of people I would make the managing, but so I, that was my first learning curve. I started the job back in May last year and then, um, I've gotten better at that since. So it's, you're always learning whenever you do anything, you're always learning something new. I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, but I love it. It's fun. I still get to travel a little bit, but it gives me like the consistency of a nine to five still in the music industry because, um, I learned I like routine. Kind of like I mentioned, like when I was on the road, I like wake up, wake up, meditate, read, do a gratitude list. Like I learned like, that's something I don't want to give up in my life. And on touring, there were so many times where I couldn't get that in. And so it's like, I still want to work in music. I just got to find a way to still work in music and be able to have the things that matter to me. Mm-hmm. Right. That, well, that was going to be my next question is what what are the things that you learned to have liked about it or the things that you found a little differently about touring that maybe you feel are a little bit more beneficial to where, the, where you want to be in music? So can you kind of tell us a little bit about, yeah, some of the things that you learned that you were a little surprised by, but also like what you're able to accomplish that still gives you that satisfaction of I work in music and I'm a part of this? Well, it's so part of the music industry is unionized, like a lot of stagehands and stuff, but the majority of the music industry isn't. So there's a lot of things that fall through the cracks. Like for me, I was always working for a vendor. It was rare that I had health insurance. I was not, if I was on retainer with an artist, it might've been different for me. Um, But like, if you're on retainer with an artist, you can get a show offer and then go fly to a show in a week. Like you can have no notice. and it's and when you're on retainer with an artist, you are expected to do whatever they want. And some people are really good with that. For me, I was very lucky that I worked for a vendor that valued my work and they did everything in their um, realm of possibility to keep me on the road. In 2019, I was home for a total of two weeks, two and a half weeks, not together. Hmm. Um, wow. So in like the, com- the company I worked for was able to put me on the road for that long you know but but when you looked at when I looked at I missed three weddings that year I missed Thanksgiving I flew home on Christmas Eve Hmm. like it was like I missed a lot I missed funerals um and so for me it just came down to I know giving up things is a part of the music industry. Like even in the management job, I was at my cousin's wedding. I got to make the wedding, but I was still pulled out my computer in the bathroom to book a flight for someone because there's that. Like Mm. (laughs) I still am doing that at weddings, you know, 
it never right. stops but i wanted to take a step back and enjoy life a little bit more than work and that was a big part of covid teaching me that i put mm. too much of my life into touring two weeks of to myself in 2019 is not a lot mm, no. no it's not Definitely so not. I, I, I learned that. Like I, I want to give myself at least weekends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that definitely seems like a valuable thing to have learned. Um, do you have anything, Andy? Before I get into the lightning round, send it, brother. Send it. All right, I'm gonna send it. <laughs> Just gonna send it. Send it. Have you seen that video? Sorry, I went on a tangent there for a second. I was cool. more focused on the brother, I, but I, I just, <laughs> I just saw it like two weeks ago that's just gonna send it guy really? i was i was way behind on everybody on that oh uh, my goodness but anyways a couple um, years behind yeah i know right <laughs> that's what i i did find that out yeah i was a little bit behind um all right so we're gonna do a little bit of a lightning round here i'm just gonna try and fire off some questions whether or not it actually is going to represent a real lightning round who knows it never usually does but we'll see how it goes um Let's kind of start from the beginning. Tell me, you may have already said, you know, memories and stuff here and there, but give me a mixtape show that really sort of sticks out to you that is just like, it could be fun, it could be silly, horrifying, you know, just whatever comes to mind. Vanna. Uh, was it Vanna? Was it Vanna White? Is that... Was it Vanna? I can't remember. Maybe. The there, there is a metal core band that, or was, I don't know if they still are, yeah. uh, that was called Vanna for some time in the early 2000s yeah, or mi early mid 2010s. Either, yeah, either Vanna, because I just will never forget someone yelling, find a first aid kit. And like, I was like, okay. And like uh, ran to oh, find shit. a first aid kit. Um, but mm. I remember that was being like, before that show, like everybody was like, we gotta bring in extra security for this show. Um, <laughs> that that was one, and then Newfound Glory when we opened with Newfound mm. Glory um, at the new location of Mixtape. Now, that was awesome. Is it yeah. true? I forget who told. I want to say. I well, I shouldn't say who I think said it, just in case. But um, <laughs> I was told, or I have been told stories about that show that they were still building parts of the stage and some of the ramps and everything the day that show happened because there was an issue with the capacity and everything. And like there were members of like maybe newfound glory that were helping put together like the stage and everything. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would say I, you, if anybody could confirm that, that would probably be you, I would think, but. I remember the day being insane. I remember the, I remember there being issues with the fire capacity it was, it was, it was the door. It was the door. Uh, mm. The door in the back needed to be a double wide. So I think oh. what our solution was, was we kept it open the entire night. Okay. And had security there because it couldn't be a shut door for a fire. There, there was something. I remember there was issues with that, but I mean, what's a underground DIY show type venue without a little <laughs> fire hazard? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> nice I the thing I remember a lot about the those venues in the mixtape was seeing uh the chariot at those places mm -hmm. and just that was, the, it wasn't Vanna it was the chariot was that it was, oh, no, okay we <laughs> nice that makes uh, a lot more sense yeah. now I think I might have may have seen Vanna in it might have been the old venue in yeah. or in the yeah, basement maybe. 
But uh, yeah, the chariot shows there. I just remember pure chaos uh, at those yeah. shows. It's so funny. I literally was watching some chariot videos today while I was here at work. Nice. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. Jake was, Jake's going to freak out that we brought up the chariot yeah. at all. Um, oh. <laughs> tell I me. I wish I would have remembered it off the top of my head because that's who I was thinking of, but I just couldn't. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about an intersection story that you that sticks in your head when you think about your time working with them. One time during an August Burns Red show, the opener, oh, who were they? Something with wolves in the title. Um, they literally grabbed all the green room uh, couches and brought them out on stage during August Burns Red set. What? Nice. And that was like one of my, I was standing side stage as it was happening, didn't know it was happening. All of a sudden I just see three couches go by me and I was like, what? Um, but that was a fun one. That's that, awesome. I, I'm still friends with a lot of the people on the crew there. And that is probably just a place that I developed one of the most, uh, most of my friendships in Grand Rapids music scene that I still keep in touch with. So hmm. I'm really grateful for the intersection and everyone there. Give me your three favorite cities to eat in when you're out on tour. Oh, man, look at her get super serious right there. <laughs> that, was, that may have been the most like it thought that I've seen you put into something since, which I agree with. I would be right there with you. I'd be like, I need Hell to think yeah. about this one for a minute. But, yeah. Okay. What's the what? We'll do this. Three favorite cities and then your dish of choice in those cities. Anything with green chilies. Um mm. They'll, they'll put it on your breakfast burritos. They'll put it on your tacos. They'll put it on your pizza. Um, they'll put it on your burgers. They do everything um, mm-hmm. like that in New Mexico. Um, hmm. Not a restaurant, but in Richmond, Virginia, there's Guar Bar. And oh. that is one of the most fun bars ever. Um, Any affiliation you know, with with Guar? Is I that- think one of the owners is a partner. Or one of oh. one of the band members is a partner in it. It has memorabilia everywhere. It's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Amazing. <laughs> makes sense. Then, honestly, this is gonna be really lame and cheesy, but I love going back to Grand Rapids because it gives me like a piece of home. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Stella's Burger and probably down a Stella's Punch and die, um, <laughs> or go over to like founders to get a beer or something like i love being in my hometown because it just makes me remember where i came from you know mm-hmm. i got a tour through i got a chance to tour through 20 Monroe last fall oh um, nice i had to fill in as tour manager uh tour manager for one of the artists i managed that appendicitis and oh, so wow. they were just like well i guess you're gonna go on tour for two weeks and i said okay nah. <laughs> um the first show is 20 Monroe. And shout out awesome. to everyone there for clothing me because I didn't bring any clothes with me to that show. So they gave <laughs> me like five 20 Monroe live shirts. Nice. Awesome. Right on. Uh, what do you remember most about the GR music scene? The community. I would drive like not only GR music scene, I guess that's a different number. GR music scene, I would say I would drive all over the state to go to shows. But I would see people from GR at every show, too. Mm-hmm. We would go to Holland. We would go to Detroit or Ann Arbor, um, Flint. Uh, and But you'd see the same people at every show. That's just 
that's that's a commu- sense of community I never thought I'd lose, and I wish I like I don't know if I, I wish I kind of knew the last time I was going to see a lot of them. Right. I miss a lot of people in that small GR scene. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now. I am going to ask you a little more serious one and then we'll do a fun one and that'll be the end of the lightning round. Because I'm going to ask you this question, but in a in a slightly different way at the end of the podcast. But what do you think current Olivia would tell past Olivia if you could say something to past Olivia? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, don't worry. Because so many times I would have, am I going to get my next tour? Am I going to get a job? Am I going to make it in the music industry? Those thoughts that went through my head. And there have been multiple times where I've been like, maybe I should leave the music industry. But every single time something has happened to me. Like within minutes, hours, a day of me having that thought, that brings me back. And worry is my biggest culprit. So just and believe in myself more. <laughs> I have imposter syndrome to the max. Never thought I was good at anything I did. Even struggle with it to this day. And mm. just be more confident in yourself because I did some insane shit free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all kind of have that that situation in, in all of us in some sort of way. All right, so let's, we'll do one more, and I have, this is normally the one we end with, and it's a little bit uh, more silly and fun, but I'm going to let you, you're booking a show, you have, you get to pick the venue, and we'll do four acts that you can, but it's your dream show, but they have to be bands that you've worked with in some capacity, either, you know, maybe through touring, management, booking, some, any sort of aspect you can think of. But you have to pick your dream lineup of four bands, and you get to pick the venue. Where is it at, and who's playing? Um, man, it's so funny because like I'm starting to realize how many of the bands I like that I haven't worked with. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder if I've ever worked a Tuesday show. I don't think I have. I remember going to their Thanksgiving show, pop-up show one year, but... Oh, yeah. Um, Man. Was that fun? I never got to go. I wanted to go so bad, and I just didn't. And I regret I it to this day. Being, like, five feet away from the drummer and his balls just hanging out and being like, this is the worst thing ever. Someone just destroyed the HVAC. Um, <laughs> it was like Turtle Den, House of Pancakes, one of those I two? think it was Turtle Den, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they were both the same spot, and at the time it was Turtle Den. I forget exactly what those houses, but... Uh, but uh, this is really difficult, and I'm going to take up too much time thinking about this, but I'm just going to say Tuesday, um, because I think... I, no, I, I didn't work on them. Um, there's also a part of me that um, wants to go with... Nope, haven't worked with them. This is... You guys, you thought this was going to be a fun question. Um, (laughs) And that's also another difficult thing. A lot of the people I've worked for are in country, and that is not what I would put on it. Let's do, let's do, oh, I worked with a lot of people at Ryman. Okay. 
let's do bend folds. There we go. I love bend folds. Um, Cashville mm, put on a good show. Um, we're going to do... August Burns Red. This is a bad lineup. It's just a, it's a mixture. We have Ben Folds, August Burns Red, and Kesha. Um, There's I a market go. for that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would, would be there. <laughs> I, th- I think oh, you you have an upsell on the bazaar of that yeah. lineup that people would be like, "What? I have to see that." Yeah. Um. Mm, yeah, it is one of those weird ones. Uh. Um, you know what? I loved Old Dominion when I worked for them. Let's throw them on there. We'll throw a little country. Tight. Um, Hell yeah. And where's the show? Oh, where's the show? Mm-hmm. Oh, snap. That's tough. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do Intersection. Come on. Like, nice. I'd be stupid not to pick that. Hell all yeah. Right. We're going to see that same lineup pop up a year from now. <laughs> They're going to have it all planned out. Yep. There, somebody's going to be like, we that know, would be sick. Yeah, we know who put that, that on. We know who made that happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This has been very fun. I hope you've enjoyed this as well. Um, Do you have anything you'd like to promote or anything you want to share, like people to kind of get some information on? Mm, I am going to do a shameless promote of um, something I've been working on. It was before. So I was just assisting as a day-to-day manager for two of the larger artists I work for and recently about... The first week of February, I stepped into full-time day-to-day manager for them. But one of the baby artists I was working for is called Roman Duddy. And uh, they are <laughs> launch. They have a podcast. They're who I work for with their podcast. But they're launching a CBD line on um, March 1st. So I'm going to do a shameless plug. Check out <laughs> Roman Duddy um, nice. because I love my boys. Awesome. Shoot, shoot <laughs> us a link for that. We'll put it in the information oh. for the episode. Um, so our closer, I basically asked you the same question during the lightning round, but I'm going to try and do it. I'll put a little twist on it. Um, I, we close with the guests giving themselves advice for the future. So you give you gave past Olivia some advice. Now I want you to give future Olivia advice. It could be the same advice. It could be different. Just something that you can look back on and listen to where you might need to hear down the road. Um, I'm going to tell myself to be confident and stay in the moment and not future trip. (laughs) Um, because right now is what's important. Hell yeah. Awesome. I love that. Very cool. Well, thank you again. Yeah. This was so much fun. Thank you for asking me to be on.